Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, with the WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, the Silver King is back once again, and we are still two weeks out from WWE SummerSlam, but there is plenty as there has been nearly every week recently, to go over in the world of WWE. Vintage Chris Vanini is joining me, as always, to break it down. He will jump on the horn in a minute. But before we get to him, before we get to anything else, a reminder about what the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast needs you to believe when you listen to this show. It is all about D5 here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. That means heading over to Apple Podcasts, dropping a five-star rating and review so future listeners can know what you think about the show and give them a reason to tune in, download, listen, subscribe, all those really good things. Also, do not forget how important word of mouth is helping us grow. Tell your friends, family, and everyone you know who is a wrestling fan to listen to your favorite wrestling podcast, which I certainly hope at this point is getting over. Of course, I would be remiss if I did not remind you as well to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. So I want to get into the show today because as I kind of said in the intro there, there's a lot going on in WWE. There always seems to be a lot going on in WWE at this time between, uh, you know, changes that they're making to the organization, uh, hirings, obviously firings and releases of talent, So many of you tweeted and messaged me to talk about NXT on today's show. And we are going to have some conversation about that right here before we get into the main event. I do want to save a lot of it, particularly as it concerns reports of changes coming to NXT. I'd like to save that for Thursday's show. We have a little bit more time. Uh, We can run through it. We can see if any of those changes go into effect on Tuesday during the latest NXT episode. Uh, Although I don't really expect anything to happen until after TakeOver 36, you would assume that the show after that would be a good start, fresh point if they are going to make any changes. But suffice to say, WWE has never really fully, truly understood what it has in NXT. And the latest slew of releases, I didn't do a full count, although I have all the names and we'll go over them briefly. The count that I'm going to give you, the, I'm sorry, the list of names, it doesn't necessarily speak to that. I mean, there's a lot of people who got cut um, that are surprising. There's one person who got cut that's shocking. But the majority of them, if you're going to release people, which sucks, you know, it's, it's the worst thing, people losing their jobs. I absolutely hate it. I take no pleasure in talking about it or reporting on it for this show. Um... Aside from the fact that releasing anyone is bad, you don't want an entertainment company to release its top stars. It's people that you really like that you think have a future. And that's what WWE has been doing recently. And there's no bigger name on this list of releases, which, by the way, were leaked during SmackDown on Friday because WWE does not publicly list the names of people it cuts from NXT. But... Topping that list is Bronson Reed, which is just an absolutely stunning and maddening decision. Reports were that Reed was in the process of being called up, which is why he lost the North American Championship a couple weeks ago. He was wrestling dark matches 
How he went from almost call-up to released is absolutely baffling to me. He just had two great matches with Swerve and Adam Cole. The guy is extremely talented with a great personality. He's a decent promo. He's massive yet athletic. He can work as face or heel. This falls in line with the Aleister Black release, where it doesn't make a shred of sense because if you're WWE, you should always be looking for what is the next wave of fresh talent that we can bring onto the main roster and turn and eventually turn things over. Like you saw it obviously with the Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, Dean Ambrose, a couple of years later, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. And you WWE always goes through this process. People age out, people retire, people aren't popular enough to keep on your roster. But now they're going in the opposite direction. They're cutting people who should be that next wave of young talent. And they're resting on their laurels with people who are in their 40s and mid to late 30s saying, just take this, enjoy this. This is what we have for you. I just don't get what they're doing. And I don't know what tone WWE thinks it's setting because there is constant negative press around this organization. AEW exists, by the way, and it's scooping up so many people as WWE's roster gets thinner and thinner every week. And I'm not saying it's losing its mass that it had because it was overinflated because of all the talent that it was signed. It is now legitimately a thin roster on Raw and SmackDown. Are they ending the brand split? I just have no idea anymore. But what I do know is it's constant negativity surrounding WWE with its core audience, which is something we have discussed on this show plenty. And it's completely distracting from this return to live crowds, which should be an extremely positive experience, both in arena and from a public relations standpoint. WWE gave us Money in the Bank, a great pay-per-view. It's building largely what seems to be a really good card for SummerSlam. It's selling out arenas. Like some of these things are happening, but simultaneously they're telling people, hey, you know that thing that you got excited for us coming back? F you, here's a middle finger because all these other people you like, the fact that maybe many of you bought tickets because you wanted to see The Fiend Bray Wyatt or you wanted to see Braun Strowman or you saw Aleister Black vignettes and you're like, oh my God, I can't wait to see Aleister Black back in WWE. Screw you. WWE is actively giving their most dedicated fans, reasons to be angry and not watch the product. It is the most nonsensical thing from a business standpoint that I have ever seen this company do in all my years of watching it. Yeah, I don't know how many times I can read uh, morale in the locker room is low after the latest rounds of cuts. Like, I, I don't I imagine being a wrestler on that roster right now and just every week not knowing if you're going to be there. And, and it's... It sucks because we're excited that crowds are back. We're excited that SummerSlam's looking good and Money in the Bank was good. And just this on top of that is so strange. And the NXT news, look, I'm not someone who watches NXT every week. I actually think I agree that certain changes need to be made to it, but I don't think it's the changes. I don't think the changes that are going to be made are the ones I think need to be made. (laughs) Right, exactly. Because I'm sure they're not taking away the two-hour show on... USA, I haven't seen any, any reports on that, but the, 
the problem is, I think a lot of it is the, the production of the show and what it, NXT is now compared to what it used to be. And I'm sure they're not going to change that. So it's, you know, of all people, Enzo Amore made a really good point on Busted Open Radio the other day. Um, and when he was when he came up in WWE at the time, NXT was the alternative to WWE. And now it's AEW. And I think a lot of those fans who loved Triple H and what he was building and everything that they were doing there have since kind of moved on to AEW. Maybe they do both of them, but they're definitely doing AEW. Well, and no, he he's right about that. And, and you are, too. But it's it's not for just the reasons of NXT being the alternative. Right. This is what it was. And, and there's a lot of revisionist history, I should say, happening in NXT. This is really what I wanted to talk about on Thursday's show. But there's a lot of revisionist history happening. OK, first of all, NXT, the television show that was one hour on the WWE Network. It was great because it was not the WWE main roster. Okay. Exactly. But yes. if you take that show on its own, let's let's imagine it existed in a vacuum. There wasn't really much to it. You got a couple squash matches, usually a storyline developed, and a main event match that was of higher quality. The NXT that WWE put on USA Network from its debut in like September to like, I don't know, the Great American Bash when Keith Lee won the title, or or maybe a couple months after that, was a fantastic show. And even today, NXT on the USA Network is way better as a television product or as an entertainment product, a two-hour entertainment product, than the one-hour show that we got on WWE Network. It's not even comparable, okay? Well, well but what I'll say to this is, one thing the one-hour NXT did, and it's what AEW does right now, and I'm actually concerned they won't with Rampage and these other shows, is it left you wanting more it, did. it didn't it didn't take a lot of time out of your week and it kept you excited because maybe next week's when we get something big, maybe we're going to get this. And I feel like I've gotten out of NXT because I think it's a bit overexposed and and you, you but, make but the again, weekly show is good. But I don't think the talent is deep enough now to maintain a two hour weekly show. And I'm I'm, I'm curious what AEW is not going to be adding Rampage and having three hours a week on top well, of Well, AEW's roster is basically larger than WWE's. It is. It, and they're it only going to add more people to WWE. It is. Top. But I think so. something, I think one reason I've enjoyed AEW is that it doesn't feel like a chore. It feels like a quick thing. And it, 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 it just, it leaves me wanting more. And part, in part, and the other part is the talent level in, in, in that, and that goes back to the point Enzo made was that, all the you know, Triple H grabbed up all almost all of the indie darlings at the time and put them on NXT in various forms. Now they have another option. Now the NXT roster, even before cuts, is not as good as it used to be because I think they can't just grab anybody from the indies that they want. And part of that, and a big part of that, is because of of AEW. So we'll see how what NXT looks like once once we kind of have a couple weeks, I think, under it. But I don't think it's wrong that changes to be made need to be made. But I think the way that this is happening in the way that this is coming out in the in the media is an incredibly bad look for WWE. Well, it's damaging for the company and its core audience. This is what I was kind of saying. But yes. again, I have to go back to this. There's a, a lot of revisionist history about NXT out there, largely because of the existence of AEW. So first of all, yes, every point you just made is correct, but it's because of not the talent level as a whole, because NXT's roster right now is extremely talented. It's the main event talent. 
WWE had a really great system going with NXT where it was debuting people in the company on that brand with the exception of AJ Styles and the Good Brothers. It was debuting people on NXT that were stars that could have debuted on the main roster. You're talking about Shinsuke Nakamura, Finn Balor, Samoa Joe, guys like that, okay? Even Asuka, she needed to develop a little bit more to American style, but she had the talent to debut on the main roster. But once all of those people cycled out of NXT, then the top of the brand was Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa, Adam Cole. And there's nothing wrong with any of them. They're all extremely talented, but those were talents, especially Gargano and Ciampa. They were talented before, but they weren't names until they were in WWE. People knew Adam Cole because of his association with the Bullet Club. He was a really good wrestler and really, really popular, but he wasn't a superstar the way that a Finn Balor and a Shinsuke Nakamura and a Samoa Joe were from their experience in New Japan uh, and Samoa Joe's experience in TNA Impact. So the composition of the NXT roster changed. It changed from a factory creating the next wave of WWE superstars into Triple H's version of an independent show on a grander scale. And that still made for fantastic wrestling and what I believed was the best wrestling show. But then you're competing with AEW and there's nowhere for the talent to go and you're changing what NXT became. It used to be that feeder system. Now it's trying to operate as a third brand. And because talent isn't transitioning through it, people are viewing it in a different way. But the other revisionist history about NXT, and again, this is all, I I was going to talk about this Thursday. We're talking about it now. It doesn't matter. But the, the other revisionist history is this. People loved NXT for a few reasons. One of them was all those names I mentioned were there and they weren't on the WWE main roster. And the booking in NXT was clearer and more longer term. And the takeovers were absolutely incredible. By the way, they still are. Um, But you had all this stuff going for it. And Triple H was Tony Khan. Triple H, despite being within the system, was the guy fighting against internally Vince McMahon's style of booking and character development and everything for the main roster. And people latched on to that. They said, you know what? There's not really anything else for us to watch because Ring of Honor is marginally okay and and it's syndicated. Impact sucks. Um, PWG isn't on television. So in the United States, if I want to consistently watch good wrestling, and I don't think WWE is good wrestling anymore, my option to do that is NXT and I'm going to latch onto it and become a super fan. But as soon as someone made a credible effort to compete with WWE, someone being Tony Khan in this case, then they no longer had to latch on to NXT because instead of fighting WWE from within as a fan, they could now fight them from outside. Right. And so people, with when AEW was announced, they started liking it more than NXT, despite the fact that AEW didn't put on any shows except for those really crappy like free specials on Bleacher Report app. And even the first, you know, I mean, the couple episodes of Dynamite were good, but the first six months of Dynamite was not as good as people said it was. But they started liking AEW more than NXT the day it was announced on New Year's Day. Then yep. another wave of people started liking AEW more than NXT the day Dynamite started, despite the fact that they hadn't even seen it. And now as things progress, they have even, WWE is actually giving them reasons to like AEW instead of NXT or even WWE to this point. So yep. people need to contextualize all that. The the move away from NXT and a lot of the insults you're seeing thrown in NXT 
or NXT sucks now, or no, NXT does not suck now. Is NXT as good as it was nine months ago? Of course not. Is it as good as it was a year ago? No, but it doesn't suck. It's still 10 times better than Raw every single week, but people like to latch on to anti-WWE sentiment. AEW gave them the opportunity to either cut the cord completely from WWE or just uh, gradually get there, which is now the sentiment that you're seeing you know, from the internet wrestling community that NXT was never good. Actually, NXT was never good. It only had a couple stars that they stole and, and they hoarded their roster and, and they were never I, good. Okay, I don't, the, I don't, I, okay, I don't the think takeovers were that. okay. No, 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 think... no, dude. I saw it on Twitter all weekend. Johnny Gargano sucks. Tommaso Ciampa sucks. What, what are you talking about? These guys are great wrestlers and it's a really, really good product. But you have to take people, especially the IWC, you have to take their opinions in the context of the creation and development of AEW. Because if you don't, then it doesn't make sense why people are turning on NXT when they really don't have a good reason to. My last point on this is that, not that NXT doesn't, doesn't, but early NXT and NXT for a number of years, their target audience was hardcore fans. And I keep coming back, I thought about this over the weekend, there there were quotes from, from Triple H, from Nick Khan months ago, about how they think WWE can be Marvel, Marvel comics, superhero movies. And I, and my brother was here this weekend and we spent most of the weekend watching the Disney plus Marvel shows and we went and saw Black Widow. I'd seen them all, but he hadn't seen them. I was catching them up on them. And you realize that what Marvel does is, yes, they make big blockbusters that appeal to everybody, but they have such a hardcore fan base because they appeal to those fans. There are things that are full of Easter eggs. You basically have to watch everything to fully get everything that's going on. Everything is connected. The Avengers were B-level superheroes 10 years ago before, before the movie started. It turned into what it did because they built incredible characters. People didn't watch Iron Man because it was Iron Man. They watched Iron Man because Robert Downey Jr. did an incredible job with that character. And the DC movies, the Superman, stuff like that, has not quite clicked because they haven't built characters. And that's a problem that WWE has, is that they do not really build characters that people connect to. They try to build brands and sell as many shirts as they can with those brands. And they're specifically not going for those hardcore fans. And it works to an extent. You know, people buy those those shirts you think are dumb on the WWE shop, people buy them. I went to Money in the Bank. I couldn't believe the number of weird shirts that people buy. But the problem is there is a ceiling to that. You're not going to become Marvel by dismissing your hardcore fans from time to time. And what, clearly the direction NXT is going and based on the reports that it, it may be going, they're not going for the hardcore fans. And AEW is. AEW is always dropping Easter eggs, making you feel like you have to watch BTE to get a little reference and somebody makes it. In the end, it doesn't matter, but it rewards you for watching. And I think that's something that WWE has really gotten away from. It's something that AEW generally does pretty well. And I think it's a big reason people latch onto it because they feel like they're in on the joke a lot of the times. And with NXT going in this direction, I'm really curious about the future of WWE and where it goes with, with hardcore fans. Well, you make a good point. Like WWE, it can't be Marvel if it doesn't write like Marvel. Right. Like everything in Marvel, is, like you said, it's interconnected and it works together. And you're like, oh yeah, I remember when he did this. Mm-hmm. That's why this makes sense now. And I don't necessarily need my wrestling to be 
a 10-year mapped out story plan. But it wouldn't hurt to do it for six months. It or really three, wouldn't, especially because we have shows weekly, right? Yes. So yeah, WWE has gotten away from that. And yes, AEW is attacking the hardcore audience and the fan base that WWE not only left behind years ago, but at least with NXT, they were still keeping it. Right. But now they're slowly kind of seemingly moving away from it. Again, I don't want to get into the reports of of the things that may or may not change in NXT because, I, you know, that shit is said all the time. And it's, you know, you're playing telephone at that at some point and you don't know what actually happened. Sometimes people talk about something in a board meeting and it never actually comes to fruition. I don't want to waste time on this podcast doing it. But when I look at this entire situation, it's almost to me like WWE is Coca-Cola, right? It's not going to ever go anywhere. It is the number one cola brand. Um, it People refer to the product of, you know, sparkling liquid with uh, syrup in it as a Coke, right? Just like uh, Xerox or, or Kleenex or anything like that. But it's like Coca-Cola is seeing RC Cola gaining some market share. And by the way, RC Cola is very good and underrated. And if anyone knows anyone at RC Cola, you could sponsor this podcast and I'd be very happy. But uh, it sees RC Cola gaining market share. And it's like, oh, that's interesting. You know what? We don't need to worry about them, but we do need to cut costs. So let's go ahead and figure out where we can cut costs. And instead of, you know, speeding up their manufacturing process or cutting back on marketing or doing this or this, they say, you know what? We already have Coke and we already have Diet Coke, Cherry Coke, Diet Cherry Coke, Coke Zero Sugar, Vanilla Coke, Orange Vanilla Coke, Coffee, Coke Life, whatever the hell that is. Let's stick with Coke. Let's get rid of Sprite. Let's just drop Sprite. And after 90 days, RC Cola, they can pick up Sprite if they want. They can add it to their category list and improve their business. Don't worry. We'll be okay without Sprite. We have Dasani. That's the WWE line of thinking right now. And it is maddening to me. It it doesn't make any sense from a business standpoint what WWE is doing. And I say all of that to bring us back to this list of releases. I'm just going to go through them quick because I did mention Bronson Reed and it's not fair to not mention anyone else. Bobby Fish was released. He's always seemed like an odd man out after Undisputed Era broke up. I could actually see WWE re-signing him as a trainer, but with his age, injuries, he only has a couple of years left anyway. It unfortunately kind of made sense, I guess. I know people would be upset about that. Mercedes Martinez, she was a veteran talent who I was really happy got a chance in WWE, but she never found a role, no matter how long she was there. I think she'll be totally fine, whether in AEW or elsewhere. Leon Ruff, a former North American champion who seemed to really get over with the fans. His wife is the referee, Asia Smith. Uh, I believe that's how you say her first name. And if you don't, then I'm sorry about that. It's AJA. Um, But he's gone. And, you know, I don't necessarily think he had the highest ceiling, but he was someone who definitely deserved to be part of NXT. Tyler Rust, he just started a brand new group, Diamond Mine with Roderick Strong, Malcolm Bivens, uh, talented. But I was always iffy on whether he would catch on. I hate to say it, but I'm not overly surprised there. Jake Atlas, he was the wrestler that WWE hired basically from Undercover Boss. Um, You know, LGBTQ, uh, that he was someone who it seemed like they were really buying into. But also, it didn't seem like he was the best fit for NXT. I think he's going to have a ton of success on the main roster. Kona Reeves was cut. They tried many times with him. It just never caught on. He's been healthy, but 
not used. That was not a shock at all. Uh, Asher Hale, the former Anthony Henry, extremely talented guy, showed out on 205 Live. And I really thought he was going to be like an NXT superstar, like a guy they were going to use moving forward. He's gone. Uh, Ari Sterling, the former Alex Zane, he just challenged for the Cruiserweight Championship two weeks ago. He's not the same tier for me as Asher Hale, but also a surprise. And then also Zachariah Smith, Stefan Smith, and Giant Zangier were all cut as well, along with Denzel Desjournet, though I'm not sure if he changed his name to one of those Smiths or not. Uh, his career has been really strange for me. So as I said, Chris, Bronson Reed was a total shocker. The rest, I don't think, are unfortunately going to be noticeably absent. Maybe Tyler Russ because of the diamond mine thing. But to me, and this is something people aren't really talking about, it seems to me like an obvious indication that 205 Live is getting canceled. I don't think it hurts the NXT roster as much, this set of cuts, given that Reed appeared to be headed towards SmackDown or Raw. Still, it's like how many rounds of releases are there going to be? What's next? Like, what is the next thing that happens here? What's the next domino that falls, the next shoe that drops? I don't think WWE selling. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But some of these names, the Reeds, the Blacks, um, uh, uh, Bray Wyatt, Braun Strowman, they just don't make any sense whatsoever. And for me, that's where I'll leave it if you have anything else you want to say. Last thing I'll say about NXT is they desperately, desperately need to get a takeover in a, in a stadium or an arena, just something that's not the capital, the, the capital wrestling center. Because, man, NXT in its prime three, four years ago, five years ago, when it was in those arena shows and it felt like they finally got the big stage, those things were those things were A minus shows at the least every single time. And I guess 36 looks like it's at the performance center again. So I don't know when NXT is going to get back to doing those type of uh, shows, but um, it's been a number of years and I, I miss those. That's when I, NXT, I think, was at its best. So, yeah, let's move on. We, we did go way longer on that than we expected. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll move on to the main part of the show, which is actually talking about the WWE main roster. And Chris, the best way uh, I can describe Raw this week was unoffensive. It did not actively make me angry like it does most weeks, but it also wasn't good even by standards that it created for itself. I, if you guys remember a couple, there was a two week period where we were optimistic about Raw and that quickly went away. There were some bright spots, I think on Monday's show, most of it was just straight up boring though. Meanwhile, SmackDown on Friday, again, absolutely delivered despite it not necessarily being one of the best SmackDowns and despite all these releases happening literally midway through the show. Yeah, I, I mean, Raw was generally boring, not, not nothing terrible, but nothing great. And it's just, it lacks all the star power. SmackDown has Roman Reigns, John Cena, Edge. Like, that's where all the action is. Big so, E, Finn Balor, yeah, Kevin Owens. Like, Raw, Raw has, and SmackDown has everybody you want to see, and Raw doesn't. And Raw, but Raw's the three-hour show, and it just feels like a chore a lot of the time. And honestly, if we weren't doing this podcast, I probably wouldn't be watching Raw every week. SmackDown, though, SmackDown is great. I, I, I love it. I thought it was another really good episode that built off the previous episode, but Raw was a bit of a slog again. If we weren't doing this podcast, I would tape Raw every Monday. And then on Tuesday, while I was like getting into the, my workday, I would, you know, fast forward it and, and look at, you know, individual segments that catch my eye and watch it. So yeah. I would probably watch 90 minutes of Raw every week, um, maybe 60 minutes of Raw, if you, especially because you're taking out commercials. I'd probably watch 60 minutes of actual Raw every week if we weren't doing the podcast. Yeah, it's, it's rough. They yeah. need a shake up. They need changes immediately. Uh, and let's change direction on this show because 
the way we normally start this podcast is how we're going to move on today by sliding into the main event. So we're going to do a three-part main event this week, two for SmackDown, one for Raw. We'll start with Roman Reigns and Finn Balor confronting each other on SmackDown. Paul Heyman opened the show by calling the Bucks the Tampa Bay Schmuckaneers, which I thought was really funny, as he explained that John Cena signing the contract was a joke and he doesn't deserve a title match. Then he dropped an incredible line on Kayla Braxton. I'm sure you're used to hearing this. I'm not in the mood, which was just hysterical, especially given Paul's interaction with her on Talking Smack back in the day. Uh, Big E then appeared with his briefcase. He was laughing at Heyman. Later in the locker room, Reigns told Heyman he was interested in seeing the Finn Balor-Baron Corbin match later in the show. So we got to that match. Before the match, Balor cut the exact promo we wanted from him last week. He said he has a bone to pick with Cena. Uh, Then they got into the ring. Corbin tried to apologize. Balor attacked him, beat his ass in three minutes with the coup de grace. Balor then grabbed the mic for a second time and said a couple of years ago, he'd have just smiled after getting screwed over, but he's not messing around anymore. He demanded a title match and said he'd even go through John Cena to get it if he had to before Roman Reigns' music hit. Now, you and I both said it was ridiculous that Balor did not cut a promo last week after getting screwed by Cena, but we thought and hoped, we really hoped that he would do so this week. The fact that he got to cut not just one, but two, both of them were strong, and both of them called out John Cena and Roman Reigns. I thought that put him at an extremely high tier immediately in the WWE SmackDown uh, roster. Like he immediately almost elevated himself to main event if you're going to go in there, call out Reigns and Cena, and kind of get over strong on both of them. Yep, 100%. This is exactly what we needed from him, what we wanted to. He he responded the way a normal person would if they had screwed out of something like that. So great stuff from Finn, really got to shine. To me, this clearly sets up that he is the guy, he'll be Roman's challenger after SummerSlam. Kind of the way that they hinted at Lashley Kofi while Lashley Drew was still going on. That Considering, exactly. considering SummerSlam's one show, two shows away. Um, it seems to me it's clearly setting up Finn Roman and everything Finn said makes sense and has me excited to see him. And by the way, if you're not going to do true long-term booking, like like what we're talking about six months a year, telling an entire story, doing what they did with the Kofi thing with Balor here, it really helps at least satisfy the, hey, this is not hotshot booking week to week, right? It at least tells you that they're putting thought and care into the product and being able to see that on SmackDown at least is really nice. So the only, the only thing I wished that they did differently out of this is I wish Balor opened SmackDown. His theme music hits, he goes to the ring, he cuts that first promo, he goes backstage. That's the one thing I would have done differently simply because you want him so incensed and so angry coming out of last week, he can't wait a second to tell people what he thinks. That's the only change I would have made. Anyway, uh, so after Balor called out Reigns following the match with Baron Corbin, Rain said Balor had a right to be angry, but must keep his name out of his mouth. He threw the mic at Balor, who responded by shoving Reigns and then pointing the finger guns at him. The Usos attacked with a pop-up Samoan drop. Balor avoided an Uso splash and then knocked him out with a tope cannonball. And he got some shots in on Reigns before getting stopped with a Superman punch, a spinning Uso splash, and a guillotine with Balor tapping out. The crowd was really into it, but they were clearly waiting for John Cena the entire time to make the save. And he just never showed up. I was shocked 
Cena never came out because the roof would have blown off that place. That's the spot they always did with Steve Austin and The Rock. Like Mick Foley's getting beaten down in the ring and The Rock at the very last minute comes in, clears the ring, hits a couple rock bottoms. Mick Foley's happy. You know, it was a different type of character, Foley and Valor, obviously. But, and then you end the show that way and maybe Foley and uh, Rock, or in this case, Balor and Cena, you know, they give each other like the eye. They're looking at each other like, oh, you know, why'd you save me? What does this really mean? I called you out earlier in the show. And maybe you set up a Finn Balor, John Cena match. And that's how you actually write Cena off, considering he is booked for shows after SummerSlam. So maybe you have Reigns beat Cena, Balor beat Cena, and then Balor fight Reigns. But for them not to have Cena come out, despite the fact that he was there in the dark match main event, just did not make sense. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't he, was, know he was, and he there. wrestled in the six-man match that, that oh, we've been okay. getting. Yeah, the so, crowd was chanting Cena, Cena, and I was kind of, I was, I was kind of a little frustrated because, like, man, this should be Finn's moment, but Cena, Cena, and the fans are going to want that. Yeah, so it, it was tough to critique this because everyone involved played their parts well. Balor got to cut two really strong promos, as we mentioned, on Cena and Reigns, but the entire thing it ended with a whimper, uh, Balor tapping out almost unnecessarily when you're yeah, trying to build weird. them up as the next challenger. When instead you, they had the huge pop waiting for them, the John Cena pop on a silver platter, and they didn't cash it in. So I don't know why they wouldn't let him go in and and clear the ring, stare down at Balor. But aside from that, it was really entertaining. It just was not booking Cena was illogical. That's all. I I mean, I get that you want want this to make Finn's moment, Finn's show, and if Cena's overshadowing him again, we might be annoyed that they're doing that instead of... But that gives Balor even more reason to want to match with him and hate him. No, I know. I, I honestly, the only issue I had with this whole thing was Finn tapping out, which is just weird. I don't know if he just chose. To, I don't know. It's, it's like a little thing, but that just didn't seem necessary. But other than that, I, I really liked the way all this worked out. Roman needed a weekend to, to uh, Roman needed a show to end looking strong, and he got that. And you know, we'll see what moves forward. But th- this is this is overall really really good stuff. By the way, credit to John Cena. He said in an interview this week that. WWE only asks him to come back for like a limited number of dates. I guess like half a dozen dates or something like that. And he said, no, I want to come back for every date because he wanted to get in front of the audience. He wanted to help WWE get fans back into the building after the pandemic. That That's something you don't have to do. Like, look at Goldberg. He comes in for yep. a, a main event level program with Bobby Lashley. The guy can't even be bothered to show up on Raw every week. John Cena's, hey, let me come back and do... 30 shows and wrestle on all of them. Guy's a machine, man. Respect to John Cena. The guy, the guy loves this stuff. And, and, and frankly, you know, you're going to have a Goldberg's only showing up every other Raw. They should be building to Lashley's next challenger like exactly they're doing here with Roman, except for Cena is there. So, um, And that's the problem, some... dude. As I've said on this show, there isn't anyone else to challenge him. Right, right. There's no one know. else on Raw to challenge Lashley. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to Raw in a minute, but uh, yeah. No, this was, good. this was good stuff from SmackDown, though. So we'll stay with SmackDown, but move over to the women. Uh, Bianca Belair was confronted by Sasha Banks and Zelina Vega. And credit to WWE, because they clearly paid likeness rights to Dr. Manhattan for Sasha Banks' new entrance with those big blue hands. Banks said Belair never showed any gratitude for their WrestleMania match, for the ESPYs, and everything that they did together. And she was back at SmackDown to make her pay. Belair reminded Sasha that Sasha begged her to choose her after winning the Royal Rumble so that they could main event 
WrestleMania. And so now Sasha is just trying to hold her down. Then Zelina came out and Belair basically didn't let her come into the ring, which I thought was pretty funny. Zelina reminded Bianca that she accepted her challenge last week, which was really good because at least I wasn't losing my mind when I said that on the show and how that didn't make a shred of sense. Belair then accepted both challenges, saying she would fight uh, Sasha Banks at SummerSlam and fight Zelina Vega right away on Friday night on SmackDown. I thought it was great to see the women get 10 plus minutes to open the show. All three of their promos were good. Bianca really stood out by showing a lot more confidence on the mic than she has to this point. She was cool and calm, and she was standing strong against challengers coming from both directions. So I thought it was especially a great moment for Bianca, but it was solid for the entire women's division. Yeah, no, it definitely was. The only weird thing about it was Bianca accepting a title shot and then Adam Pierce and... uh... I'm, get, just, I'm getting there. I'm getting yeah, there. Yeah, we're getting there. <laughs> but the buildup to this was really good. I was like, oh, title shot. This is cool. Bianca's taking on all challengers. This is what we wanted from Bianca because I we, we kept saying, you got to show, don't tell. You got to show us how awesome she is and not just have her tell us. And this was a promo segment, but except by accepting the challenges, that's what they're doing. And it's great. The entirety of SmackDown was showing us that Bianca Belair is awesome. Because the match showed that too. So we hit the match, Bianca Belair versus Alina Vega as Belair accepted. And it seemed like it was going to be a title match, as you just said. But in a rare case, they made it a contenders match, this new concept. And it was the perfect call because Zelina tried to challenge the champion, but she had zero reason whatsoever to get a title shot when she has no wins on her record and no history of winning in WWE. Adam Pierce and Sonia Deville actually told her that to her face. And they basically said, look, you don't deserve a title shot. And if you want to fight the champion, that's fine. The only way you're going to get a title shot is if you beat her. So I loved it because it took everything I said last week about it made no sense why Zelina would make the challenge and it made no sense why Belair would accept it. And it made no sense why WWE would potentially give her a title match. And it paid it off one week later. Yeah, you're right, Adam. It di- it would have made no sense. We were telling you a story. I got to give him credit for that. I, I hated this. It, it, oh, interesting. You know, you know right. how many, in all of wrestling history, when someone just says, all right, I'll accept your title shot, and then it happens? Like, why of all times is this the time when the authority- Because she doesn't deserve it at all. You know, you know how many people who don't deserve title trends didn't get? And you know who those same Adam Pearson, Sonya Deville didn't give a title shot to? Yet who deserved one? Seth Rollins. Like if, if it's all about for that, if it's yeah. all about who deserves it and who doesn't deserve it, they're completely inconsistent on that. I just thought this was completely unnecessary. Just make it a con- just have them just have have Bianca accept a regular match. Have Pierce and Sonya make it a contenders match, and there you go. I, it was so weird to like tell us we're gonna get a title match and then come back and say, Nah, actually you're not. It was just it felt backward to me and inconsistent with what those two have done before and frankly just a weird way to hype up your crowd and then take it away from them so i just seemed really unnecessary. well they're the authority though so like seth rollins can make the challenge but if they don't want to give him that match that's their but in both cases they didn't give them the match they didn't feel rollins was deserving they didn't feel zelina vega was deserving so i don't really see how it's counter to that no now, they are yes they of are, course they it's are, wrestling and it's wwe yeah. so yes you can't say that like every single time a challenge is made you know, 
it, it, sometimes it gets uh, made official immediately. Sometimes it gets made official two weeks later. Sometimes the other person has to verbally accept the challenge. Other times they don't. All of that is true. But I'm saying in the context, the singular context of this storyline, when last week Zelina challenging for the title, she didn't wasn't a deserving challenger. And then this week she brought it back up to Belair and Belair was like, yeah, I don't care. I'll fight you. I'll fight yeah. anyone. Okay, but Sonya The, the authority gave- figures coming in and saying, hey, hold on a second. You don't deserve this in any possible way. I like that. It felt like it was real. It okay. felt like someone in UFC, the I, I number agree. the number 12 challenger challenging for the lightweight championship saying, hey, I want a shot at the belt. And Dana White saying, no, the number two guy is going to challenge for the title. You don't deserve it. You haven't won a match in a year. Yeah, but you know what else just happened a couple weeks ago? Zelina got a spot in the money in the bank for no reason whatsoever. And and Liv Morgan didn't get in despite multiple wins over her for a while. So it's it's even inconsistent but with Zelina. Again, that that's that was a heel authority figure kind of making her decisions. By the way, the Sonya whole was Adam involved Pierce, in this though. Don't let's not forget. Let's not forget. They dropped the whole Adam Pierce Sonya Deville like butting heads dynamic where it looked like she was going to turn on him or become a wrestler or they were going to split brands or something. They dropped that. Then they had Zelina kind of acted up heelish in that entire thing. Now that's gone and she's a face. So I'm not talking about like historical. I'm talking about in the context of this storyline, I was very happy. And maybe it's just me being happy that someone who didn't in kayfabe deserve a title shot didn't get a title shot. Maybe that's all it is. But I thought they actually told it well over a two week period of time. If there was anything consistent about that in wrestling history, I'd be more fine. It was just, I didn't like it. It seemed unnecessary and whatever. Okay. Uh, we'll move on to the match. Bianca got distracted by Sasha's music early and ate a hurricanrana outside. Belair got a number of near falls and they wrestled really well together, actually. They countered each other. They did some reverses. Belair swung Zelina into the barricade, threw her back in the ring, hit the KOD, and got the win. As I said before, making this a contenders match was a good booking, unlike other times. And the fact that Zelina lost clean in the match now theoretically gives her no reason to challenge for the title for a long, long time until she picks up a bunch of wins. I thought it was a good feature spot with Belair. Vega did well in her role and they got solid time for the opening segment and for the match itself. So in a rare occurrence, and maybe it's because Sasha Banks is back so they care again, the women were treated really well on SmackDown. Yeah, no, for sure. In in, in the last couple of weeks... You know, they gave us several women's main events. Sasha's back. They're clearly, I think, putting more attention to it in part because of that, but in part because now they have more ways to tell stories concerning Bailey's hurt and Natalia's hurt and stuff like that. So good match, got good time. And again, you make Bianca look awesome and that's going to do more for her and more for the company than anything else. And it's exactly what they did. They did what they've still failed to do with Rhea Ripley, despite Ripley being super over with the fans, they have actively tried to make Bianca Belair look, act, talk, and perform like a star. And it's completely working on SmackDown. So good Mm -hmm. for them. Now we'll move over to Raw for the third part of the main event. And we're not going to be talking about the WWE Championship. We're not going to be talking about the Raw Women's Championship. We're talking RK-Bro, because that was the long-term uh, sorry, not long term, three hour long storyline that we got over the course of the show. So Randy Orton opened Raw. He made his return for the first time in, I don't even know how long, six weeks, something like that. But before he could speak, Riddle scooted to the ring, super excited. The crowd ate it up, chanted RK bro. Then Riddle had them chant Randy. Orton made a pun about getting a buzz, but said they're both better alone, not together. 
Riddle and the crowd were really sad with fans chanting RK bro again. And then with Omos, AJ Styles came out. He made fun of Riddle and cautioned him that even Riddle couldn't trust Orton. No one can trust Randy Orton. The crowd did asinine what chance during Styles promo. Guys, you gotta stop this shit. Eventually, we got a singles challenge and a couple failed RKOs on Omos that were actually, I thought, pretty damn funny. Orton was conflicted, but he chose not to help Riddle. And after Riddle ate a chokeslam from Omos and was kind of laid out in the ring and rolled outside. Riddle later begged Orton to allow him to be his second at ringside, but Orton denied him and said, don't call me bro. Raw also aired a fantastic friendship style video package between Riddle and Orton. Riddle backstage said he was sad uh, that Orton wouldn't let him at ringside, but he'd respect his wishes. And WWE really leaned into Orton's return and RK bro by using this as that storyline that was weaved and connected throughout the entire show. And then they followed through by putting the match in the main event. I thought that was extremely smart on a show where not many smart things happen. And it created this will they or won't they storyline that was unexpected entering the show when at least I thought Orton was going to come back and RK bro would kind of just rekindle right away. Like you'd get almost the main event situation without all the will they or won't they throughout the whole show. So I loved the storyline that they told. I thought it was really smart and they took their act right now, which is probably the most over thing on Raw, and they gave it time it deserves despite it being a tag team act. Yeah, it's it's 100% the most over thing on Raw. And anytime they give you a story at the beginning of the show and come back to it three or four times before the main event, I, I'm all in on it. Like that, That's all I really want. It's just a reason to keep watching, knowing that there will be minor updates throughout the show. Frankly, and that's what that's what made Raw watchable. The rest of the show was not great, but this they kept coming back to this, and it kept being like, "All right, this is coming. I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to it." They kept reminding you, "Hey, this thing that you really like, here's a little bit more of it, and you're gonna get you're gonna get more of it later in the show." Frankly, SmackDown has not done that since they've gone back to crowds. We loved Thunderdome era SmackDown because we would get Roman four or five times a show, and they would tell they would tell an evolving story with Usos, with whoever, throughout the two hours. And SmackDown hasn't done that. And frankly, I think it's 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 hurt, hurting for that. We're only getting Roman in like one segment of show now. But for this, with Raw, with RK-Bro, like give me those two guys three, four times a show because that that is, I, I, I want to watch it. That, that is about the only must-see thing going on on Raw. And so this is really good. The only, the only minor thing, I think it's a minor thing, that kind of, was weird was that Randy doesn't want to be a team and doesn't like riddle except he's wearing an RK bro sweatshirt. They explained <laughs> it, it. They explained what, it. Did I miss it? What was the reason? Yeah. So Orton came out when he was cutting his promo. He's like, look, the RK bro thing was fun. It was cute. We sold a lot of merchandise. So he was wearing it because. Oh, they, yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's yeah, trying yeah. to sell I, merch. That's I get, I get, yeah, I guess that makes sense. He that, did that, explain it. That, that, I, that's good. I, I must have missed it. That's good enough. I'll, I'll retract my comments. Yeah, that, was, that works. Yeah, that's good. I, I had the same thought at first. And then I was like, wait a minute. Did he? And then I rewound and I was like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, he did say that. So yeah. Yeah, they sure. explained, look, look, we, we look for these little nuggets, right? To give WWE credit because yes. we crap on it so much. They deserve credit for that. He, there was a reason why he was wearing it. Um, but I will actually slightly disagree with you. So the rain storyline, technically on SmackDown, it was weaved through the entire show. We had the Balor promo. We had Heyman backstage. We had the match, That's Balor true. promo again, and then Reigns came out at, at, in the main event. But so it true, wasn't as talking, much. 
Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I'm talking Roman himself. I mean, I, you, you're right. I, maybe I was a little bit harsh on that, but I no, feel you're, like no, we're not, you make a good point. You make a good point. I'm not seeing enough Roman on SmackDown. SmackDown's still good, but I'm not seeing enough Roman. And for a guy who is the hottest thing in wrestling, I'm just surprised that they don't go to specifically him more but, these last couple of weeks. Like they did with like they did with like they did with Riddle here. here. Here's why. And then we'll move on. Here's why. Number one, let's not forget, at least I maybe you weren't complaining the same way I was. It, it had become too much Roman. There was there were shows where it was 60 minutes of Roman. Yeah, I know. And and there's not 120 minutes of TV because there's commercials. So there were weeks where it was 60 minutes. There were weeks where it was 45 minutes. I don't need that. But if you want Roman Reigns and his storyline to take 30 minutes, one quarter of the episode, I'm okay with that. And I think that's, we're getting a little bit closer to that with this Challengers, with Cena, with Reigns, Heyman, Balor, all that type of stuff. So 30 minutes, you're good. But when you go beyond that, to me, it was a turnoff because it didn't let anyone else get any time. Because they tailed back on Reigns, we got a long women's promo segment. We got a longer right. women's match. Those are things we weren't getting before. So right. for that, me, that, it is a step in the right direction. Yeah, I, it, But that, that's, again, SmackDown leaves me wanting more. And that's a good thing. Okay, so moving on here with this storyline. Uh, we had Orton versus Styles in the main event, a singles match. Now, the match we waited all night to see. The bell rang at 10.48. So we got 12 minutes. And then 90 seconds after the match started, they go to commercial. So we got a 12-minute match, including commercial, for Orton versus Styles, the main event of the entire show. That, again, they wanted us to wait the whole thing, the whole show to see. Orton escaped the calf crusher and avoided a phenomenal forearm, coming back with a draping DDT. Omas saved Styles from a potential RKO and distracted Orton. Riddle ran in from the crowd to drive Omas into the ring post, but Omas backed him into another ring post. Orton then caught Styles flying off the ropes, countering the phenomenal forearm into an RKO for a win in what was a decent main event match, despite it being really short. After the match, Orton yelled at Riddle for helping him. Uh, Riddle wanted a hug. Uh, Riddle stopped Orton from leaving right as he was going through the ropes, told him to listen to the crowd, which again was chanting for them. They hugged, and you knew exactly what was going to happen. They hugged. Riddle raised his arm. Orton predictably hit him with an RKO. But after he hit the RKO, he bent down, smiled, patted him on the head. Now, I took the RKO as a tough love type of deal. And commentary seemed to be pretty clear, suggesting RK-Bro is back together at the end of the show. It would have been boring if they had just reunited straight away when Orton came back. So I thought the entirety of this booking made sense. They kept us engaged and left us some reason to watch next week to find out, are they really back together or are they not? Even though that next week is going to be the go-home show, I assume we're going to get a tag team title challenge and booking for the pay-per-view, which is what we all really want. And that match at SummerSlam is going to be a lot of fun. So, you know, were there some things that I would have tweaked and changed on Monday night regarding the storyline? Yes. But top to bottom, they delivered. We got an RKO on Riddle. Uh, and I think it's all going to work out where RK Bro is together again on Monday. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that they want to hype up are they together, but it's pretty clear that they're together. I mean, Randy was smiling after he did it, like while he was laying there. And I think commentary even said Randy couldn't help himself, but like in like a playful way. So, I mean, it's like Randy's every, an asshole, but he's trying to be a good guy. Yeah, that's the gimmick. Every, you know? every, yeah. And I think everybody got that. So, no, I thought it was I, honestly when that was going on, I was like, oh, man, I thought Randy would have our kid road riddle i guess he's not going to and then when they lingered for a minute i was like oh he's gonna get him and then he got him and it was and i popped and it was it was good it was fun i think randy just like 
in character or out of character. I think that smile was real. And yeah, I, I, I mean, could you make little tweaks on everything? Sure. But this was a good story they told throughout the show. It was a good anchor and Raw doesn't always have that. One thing I do get, Chris, before we move on, I get Team Hell No vibes from RK Bro. Do you? Oh, 100%. I mean, that, that when when they hugged, that, that was the very first thing uh, I thought about. Um, it, and it's it's a good, simple story to tell. Two guys that don't necessarily like each other end up liking each other. It it, it, wor- it works. It's a time-tested formula. And yeah, I do okay. find the Mustafa Ali and Mansoor storyline to be very similar, but I think the slight difference is that it seems like Ali is buying into it and almost being turned face by Mansoor. Whereas mm-hmm. Orton, Orton's definitely a face, but he's not really buying into it. He's kind of reluctantly going along. So they are a little too similar to be on the same show, but both are working in their individual right. So let, that's it for the main event, folks. Let's move on to our new segment. I don't even know if you guys like this segment, by the way. You guys should tell me, do you enjoy our new segment that we've been running for about a month now, which I enjoy. I think Vintage Chris Vanini enjoys it. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So let's start with SmackDown. Edge was backstage calling Seth Rollins a rotten, selfish bastard for trying to prevent him from winning the Universal title and said he planned to get in Rollins' face later. Edge started cutting a promo in the ring about Rollins being a mirror of his past when Seth interrupted via satellite. Edge made the SummerSlam challenge as we expected. Rollins laughed, saying Edge should really remember their history and reconsider because Rollins can basically wreck his thrice-fused neck. Edge was incensed, really pissed off when Rollins started talking about his family, and Edge called back to eliminating Rollins from two Royal Rumbles in a row because he didn't finish the job taking Edge out in 2014. Edge said Rollins is trying to walk in his footsteps, but can't fill them because he's only Edge light. That filled Rollins with rage, and he accepted the challenge. I thought this was an extremely strong double promo segment between two of WWE's best mic workers right now, and that's despite Rollins not being there. As I've said, this is my co-main event for SummerSlam. It's the match I'm looking forward to second most. They've been nailing it every single week, including this one. So this is a very, very easy call as good. Yep, oh, totally. Yep, totally for sure. And honestly, calling calling him Edge Light was a bit too real, I think. I, I mean, Edge was the ultimate opportunist. That's what Seth's character has basically been the whole time. They got the matching beards. They got the long hair. They got everything. I love that they continue to call back to previous interactions between them. And WWE in general has been doing that since they got back to live crowds, showing old clips and stuff like that. Again, goes a long way to do that. I'm glad they're doing it more. Um, uh, Seth being there via satellite, I assume he was just there in the building. I don't really know why I don't do it in person, but whatever. Not a big deal. This is good stuff. So we'll move over to Raw for a bit. Bobby Lashley and MVP opened the third hour of Raw. Demanding respect from the crowd, MVP later explained he wasn't threatening Goldberg's son, but instead suggesting he tell his father not to risk his life and career in a match against Lashley. Then Lashley said Goldberg's not next. He's going to be done when they fight. I got to say, I thought it was a strong enough promo segment. It just didn't land because no one really wants this match. The WWE champion got six minutes on a three-hour Raw. Not even a squash match. 
like we were talking about with Bianca Belair on SmackDown, it would have been great to see Bobby Lashley take down Angel Garza or Drew Gulak or something like that. We got six minutes on the show. We haven't seen him wrestle in weeks. Goldberg wasn't there. They're building for SummerSlam, the second biggest show of the year. The guy can't be bothered to show up every week. Our good, bad, and ugly opinions are really restrictive, which is the point of this exercise to fit something into one of those categories. This was just kind of none of those. I'll say good because it wasn't bad, but more than anything, it was fine. Yeah, it was kind of whatever. I, I, I'm not going to, it wasn't bad, but I'm going to give it a bad out of the three just because, like you said, imagine if we just had Lashley win a squash match and then they cut that promo right after and say, see what we just did. This is what we're doing to you, Goldberg. And essentially cut the same promo. You, you know, it was, it, it's weird. We go such a long time between the champions actually having matches and it's kind of frustrating. I mean, maybe they do it in the dark matches and it's fine or whatever. But again, I just I feel like it comes back to nothing makes unless someone's really good on the mic. Nothing makes someone look better than simply winning a match and doing the wrestling. These guys sign up to be fighters. We need to see them fight more. So. This wasn't like terrible. I mean, I'm going to give it a bad just because, again, nobody wants to. We know people don't want to see this match, although Goldberg chants are still happening. And we know we, we know what we're going to get when this segment starts. And so we got an MVP is great, but it's it's unfortunate that these two are going to have to carry this whole thing when they don't need to. And that's the thing. We're going to talk about this in a little bit. But carrying cross this week, despite his presentation being better, at least he was able to look dominant. Like there's, there's that nugget at the end. It's like, oh, that sucked. But, you know, so yeah, the fact that Lashley, we haven't seen him be dominant since the Kofi match, really, or I guess maybe they had a match the week after. I don't really remember um, against Xavier Woods or there's a tag team. But yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Remember those Lashley, Xavier Woods matches? Like there was a story going on with Lashley. I was way more interested in him when that's going on compared to when they're just cutting promos. Right. Like this whole thing is just completely dead in the water. And that's what I was talking about regarding Edge and Rollins being the co-main events of SummerSlam, along with, by the way, Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks. Those three matches are the the triple main event. And they're all SmackDown matches. Lashley and and Goldberg, who cares? Not who's Mm -hmm. next, who cares? They should make a t-shirt of that. It it really says something that the WWE champion doesn't show up on your screen until two hours into your three-hour show. Yeah, right, exactly. All right, we'll stay with Raw. We'll move to the women. Nikki Ash fought Rhea Ripley in a singles match. There was a long video package about this feud. Ripley put Nikki over for having heart and guts, but said being a champion is about mixing light and dark to retain the title. And she doesn't think Nikki has a dark side to her. The scripts for Ripley here are just awful. And she sounds so robotic reading them. She did not have this problem with promos in NXT. Just let this woman talk. It's getting ridiculous at this point. And it sucks because she is super over. The crowd loves her despite booking and creative, giving them no reason to love her. They just know she's great and want to cheer for her. It also really bothers me, Chris. And I'll pause and let you get in. She has her entrance. It looks pretty cool. She does the foot stomp. She's probably the only person in the history of WWE when Pyro has existed that does like an impactful move as part of their entrance. And Pyro doesn't go off for them. Add Pyro to her foot stomp. Why wouldn't you do it? Yeah, it doesn't do Pyro, but it like makes a boom noise, don't they? Maybe, but they, do Pyro they make, too. They make, they make some sort of noise and zoom in on the camera. No, I, I, I agree. Pyro would be good. Pyro is always good. I, 
It's more, just like if Drew can get it for putting a stupid sword into a stone, yeah. or stepping on uh, uh, the ground should quake it somehow and, and create pyro. Yeah. It's just it's ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, speaking of terrible Rhea promo scripts that she's getting, she said she hasn't even seen Nikki Ash's dark side. Uh, do you remember the entirety of the Nikki Cross character? Like, well, on, like on that, NXT in particular. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, well, even when she first came up in Sandy, like we've seen it. it. I don't know. It's just like a weird thing considering her move to going from Nikki Cross to Nikki Ash was a very sharp change for a reason. So it was just like. She was still happy that, go like, lucky as Alexa Bliss's best friend. Let's not she forget. Was her, she wasn't happy go lucky. She was her best friend, but she had still had that music that was screaming and stuff like that. Yeah. OK, so. that's fair. Yeah, that is true. But regardless, yeah. she wasn't really a dark character, but. Again, just the script was terrible. It doesn't yep. matter. The, the, you could get away with that in theory, like if she was cutting it on her own as a promo. Like, hey, I haven't seen a dark side of you since NXT. Sure. Okay, yeah, that's true, right? We really haven't seen that. But you, you're right. Because it was scripted, there was no nuance to it. It was just absolute garbage. Uh, Nikki had her ribs taped and she cut another pure babyface promo. She countered Rip tied into a near fall. Nikki was preparing to potentially beat Ripley when Charlotte Flair pushed her off the top rope for a disqualification. Tossed Nikki, hit natural selection on Ripley. Flair's attack got a pop, but this match dragged. Flair later cut a backstage promo that was basically just her guaranteeing she'd win at SummerSlam. One week after we went good for the Nikki versus Charlotte Flair no holds barred match, I have to go back to bad for this. It was so damn bad and predictable. I really would like Rhea to just do something away from Charlotte because... She, we still don't know quite what she is. I guess she's the face now, but then you're getting a face versus face match here. And then you've got Charlotte at the end, who's doing really good stuff. And Rhea's just kind of sitting there because the Nikki Charlotte stuff has been really good for the most part, even if the story's been told backwards. So Rhea's just kind of floating out there again. She's always like, she's never like the focus of, of what she's involved in. You know, she was thrown into the Oscar thing at the last minute. Uh, she she was in the Charlotte stuff was all about Charlotte. She's in a triple threat. It's just Rhea is so talented and she, her character just feels really lost. And um, I don't know what to do about it. But Charlotte and, and Nikki are doing good stuff generally. So we'll see. I, I, I don't know. It's again, this whole story has been weird because Nikki already won the title and then beat Char and then beat Charlotte. So where are we going? Uh, yeah, that was a dumb ending to the match. This is It's another way of, you know, what you were saying. Uh, we get, did get a DM slide from Chris Newman at Newman HD. He said, do you get Molly Shannon vibes from Nikki Ash when she's being interviewed backstage? That's all I see now. I didn't. Now I do. Like, <laughs> yes, totally. 100%. He's right. Yep. Superstar. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm going to say, that's not necessarily a bad thing. No, it's not uh, bad at all. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, but but that, that's a great that's a great way to think about it. Now I'm, I'm definitely thinking about that. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I always ask you guys to send in DMs and tweets. There were so many about the NXT topic and the cuts. Hopefully, you know, I couldn't read them all on the show. Hopefully we addressed it earlier. Anything that stands out for me, I'll go through them again ahead of the Thursday show. Maybe I'll answer a bunch of DMs and tweets at the top of the show going over that topic since we kind of covered it, ended up covering it today. Um, but I did want to get, there were a couple DMs I wanted to get in today's show. So just so I, I also, everyone's aware. Yeah. Also, I'm giving us, I guess I'm giving this a bad 
we didn't grade it, but yeah, we were aligned on bad for that. I assumed when I played the bullcrap uh, sound yes. that you agreed with that. So yes, that's fine. Okay, so speaking of, let's move on to Drew McIntyre against Baron Corbin. So they used the brand to brand invitational excuse to let Corbin fight on behalf of Jinder Mahal for money. I am almost positive they did this exact same match with the exact same excuse, not counting the money thing, but Corbin coming over to Raw on the brand to brand invitational to fight McIntyre. The last time they did this or two times before they did this. The only reason I liked it was not the intention of the booking. It was the idea that Corbin is so desperate for money he would leave SmackDown and show up on a piece of shit show like Raw <laughs> just to get paid. That I liked, but that was not their intention of doing this. McIntyre said the Claymore is named after his, I, I, I'm sorry if I, if I was mother or grandmother, I missed it. I think it was mother. Mother, Angela. Uh, and then he took five minutes fussing with it upon the entrance. Corbin could only afford five seconds of entrance music, which I thought was pretty funny. McIntyre hit a Glasgow kiss, two toss suplexes, and a neckbreaker before Corbin begged for mercy. Mid-match, Drew actually grabbed the microphone and called Corbin pathetic, but asked how much money he needs to survive a couple days. Corbin said $100,000. So McIntyre did the countdown and hit him with the claymore. The crowd didn't care about the match, but to be fair, it did pop for the finish. Jinder threatened after, but McIntyre just grabbed the sword and ridiculously swung it at them to keep them away from the ring. I thought the entire thing was stupid. So it's bad. It wasn't anywhere near ugly because, again, the crowd did kind of pop for it. But this shit with the sword, it's tired. It's horrible. I don't want it on my television. I don't want it for Drew McIntyre. He's better than it. Even WWE Raw is better than this sword gimmick. Are we going to get McIntyre and Jinder at SummerSlam? If so, why haven't we announced it yet? I don't even want that match. I don't want any of this to happen anymore. It's bad. Get it away from me. I don't want to see it. It, it. It's bad, but I'm I'm so torn about so many parts of this segment. Okay, first off, Corbin, for the most part, has been a face throughout this I'm poor gimmick. Like, like literally, he's not being a jerk right now. He's just Well, when he said he help. needed $100,000. Well, wait, 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 wait. wait. Yeah. But okay. that was at the very end of the segment. But up until this point... They haven't given us a reason for him, for us to think he's a heel. Then Drew McIntyre says, hey, remember that one time we were hanging out and you were making fun of that homeless person? Now it's coming back to you. I was like, oh, there, there's something. Like, there, there you go giving me a reason to think he's a heel. And now this is an actual comeuppance. Like, it took us this long to get to that point. So I said, okay, now, now like, you got to lean into that type of stuff. And then the stuff with his mom and the sword, that's true. That's a true story. He's talked about this before. And it, it, it's a obviously a really emotional story. And so for, for that to be brought up in a backstage interview before a match with a homeless Corbin for a feud with Jinder Mahal, right. it was just like, felt like a weird place to drop that. You, you could have really, not, not to be trite, but clearly they decided to use this in the story. So using that would have, I think, been better in some other type of story. So then we get the match. And then when Corbin says, I just need a little bit of money, just $100,000. Okay, yeah, that was a heel thing to do. That was funny. Good end to the match. So like, 
I think the segment in a vacuum was good. I think the larger stories that they're telling with these people are bad. Um, so I'm going to give this segment a good because they finally gave us like some background on some stuff, which is appreciated. But overall, this is not going in a good direction. I'm that, giving the, the you sto- a bad the, for giving that. The story here's here's the problem. The problem Holy is shit. the whole the problem is the whole story now is about the sword. It's not about Jinder and Drew and their history together. Of course, that's like, what that's why it sucks. That's why it's bad. The that, whole yes, I agree. About the sword. Yeah, the story is bad. I'm agreeing with you. I'm saying I think this specific segment was was fine. Okay, if it doesn't fine. help the overall story, but they gave it. They they gave us a reason that Corbin is an actual heel. They gave us a touching backstory on the sword and and the match did what it accomplished, what it needed to accomplish. Now, the larger picture, it's not working, but I think that segment itself was was good. That's a story that you tell in a video package that airs either on the go home show or on the pay-per-view previewing the match. You're saying, yeah, "Yeah, I have this issue with gender. You guys don't understand. It goes way beyond him going after my property. Here's why the Claymore means so much to me. And you go into a story and you show pictures of his mom if if you want to do those things. And and you and you create emotion. But standing in gorilla position, just basically explaining, it's called Angela because it was my mom's name. It, it's it's throwing in something that is meaningful and should be sentimental into a situation that isn't. And the story hasn't been developed enough between Jinder and Drew, meaning it's it's gone on plenty of, of weeks, but nothing's really happening with it. So Drew's threatening to kill people with the sword. Yeah. So it it's it's a story that doesn't have a place. It, the story is too serious to be used for something that's so ridiculous as a feud based around a sword, sword in wrestling. That on top of everything else is why I hated this so much. And I, I didn't necessarily mind them getting Corbin over there using the brand to brand invitational. Like they do it so infrequently and they don't have the wild card rule that it's okay when it randomly happens. Mm-hmm. But like, what are they doing with Corbin? Because at one point, yeah, we thought he might turn face, but if he's going to stay heel, then there's no development. You need this no. person to develop as a person somehow. Look, no. Maybe we're just being, um, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for where you're kind of, Empathetic to not, no, not patient. We're lacking patience, right? <laughs> because WWE has taught us, they've conditioned us not to be patient in their storytelling. Maybe they will actually turn him face three, four weeks from now after SummerSlam, nah. where all this keeps, it, it's just a, a mountain and it piles and it rolls down on him like an avalanche is what I was looking for. Um, maybe they do it and maybe we're not being patient and they pay it off. But again, they've conditioned us not to be patient. And if this is going to be just the same thing every week with Corbin, I need money. How much money do you want? $100,000, way more than a normal person would ask for. It's not going to go anywhere. He did the same shit with John Cena. You know, it's yeah. it's just getting annoying. What's what's the defining characteristic of the bear, of Baron Corbin? It's that he does the same thing for eight months in a row. And they're doing so it again. Yeah. This is exactly what's going to happen. I He's becoming more heel as it's going on. This is <laughs> not going to turn into a face turn. That's that's the problem. I liked it at the beginning. I thought this could be a great face turn. I was talking, My brother thought the same thing. He's like, man, this is going to be a great face turn. And then we quickly come to realize, oh, no, that's not coming. This is just Vince McMahon. And don't, uh, laughing at laughing at poor people and Baron Corbin doing absolutely everything he can for the company because he's a company man. 
Exactly. It's, it's become laughing at poor person and as opposed to someone hitting rock bottom, which he clearly has, and trying to work his way up. The stuff with Kevin Owens, them teaming together potentially and maybe winning a title and Corbin getting money again because he'd be a champion and revitalizing himself and then obviously turning on Owens because he doesn't need him anymore. That's a story. It's, it's sitting there, again, yep. on a silver yep. platter for you to tell. It gives Owens something different to do. It gives Corbin something different to do. He's a face for a few months. And then he turns heel again. Like, it's all there for you. But they're not yep. doing any of it. And it's just, nope. instead, like you said, it's the same thing every single week. It's the same thing over and over and over. It's like missionary position every single night. I didn't even plan that. It just happened. And I'm very that happy. Was a great, that was a great, good thing we have that. I'm very happy we have that sound drop. Let's move on. Enough with Corbin. Uh, Apollo Crews and Shinsuke Nakamura fought. In a championship contenders match, it popped me to hear the crowd do boogs along with Rick Boogs during the entrance. Yeah. Cruz actually had some awesome augmented reality gold lions yes. for his entrance. But this match was shit because Commander Aziz forced a disqualification after like two minutes into the match and Nakamura stood tall at the end. I already hate WWE's trite booking of a challenger beating a champion then getting a title shot. But it's somehow even worse with these labeled contenders matches because they're using them as a crutch. If they give Shinsuke a title match after a freaking DQ win, that will be pathetic. If they repeat this match next week, or this week, I should say, that will be horrendous booking because then we'll have them facing each other twice, presumably with the third time coming at SummerSlam. Nakamura has already beaten Cruz in that six-man match. Booking should not be this hard. All they need to do is have Nakamura win a featured match against some other mid-card heel on the brand, and then declare him number one contender. To get this booking and not even get a long match between Cruz and Nakamura, this was bad. Yep, bad. Maybe ugly. Honestly, might be ugly. Um, for, for all the reasons you said. It's pretty self-explanatory. They, they came up with contenders match, which was a good label to put on something that they do too often and instead they're doing it even more <laughs> we're getting one we're getting one or two of these on every show it now. amplifies how often they do it and it yes by naming and, it yes yes and it's hurting it's hurting their champions because it's giving them more and more <laughs> excuse to lose non-title matches and whatever so bad ugly not good and i think it's going to happen the exact way you said we're going to get it and then we're going to get it again and then we're going to get it again because that's the only way they know how to do things it's ridic- it's ridiculous i have to say though i did do like a calculation i don't have the exact number in front of me um the champions have won these contender matches like 85 or 90% of the time so oh, really okay. so yeah it, it's only been one or two times where they've lost and i think nikki cross and charlotte flair when she already was in the triple threat match that was one of yeah. them and then damian priest Sheamus. Those two were the losses. I think every other one has been won by the champion, including the next one we're going to talk about, because, of course, there was another one, Sheamus against Ricochet in a championship contenders match. Uh, Sheamus blamed John Morrison backstage for their tag team loss last week. Uh, this Again, this was labeled a contenders match, despite Priest already beating Sheamus in one of these a couple of weeks ago, as I just said. Ricochet hit a springboard crossbody onto Sheamus, pushing them over the announce table in a ridiculous spot. I tweeted this. But I think Ricochet's pitch to get more TV time is put me in a match every week. I'll do something ridiculous and you'll get a YouTube clip out of it. Like I'm almost positive that was the pitch, but he had a lot of high flying moves in this match, including a springboard acai moonsault for a near fall. Ricochet's flying headbutt came at the end of the match, but it hit Sheamus' steel mask instead of his forehead, 
giving the champion an opening to hit the brogue kick and get the win. Look, people are allowed to lose matches, and Ricochet was giving an excuse to lose this match. Outside of the contenders match logic, I thought this was really good. The, the the match itself was fine. The segment worked. I mean, it's like the second time in three weeks we're getting somebody headbutt Sheamus and it backfires on them. Or punches it or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So, I, I, look, anytime I see Ricochet and Sheamus, those, those guys are fun to watch wrestle. So, so that works. But I'm really, really sick of this Sheamus bit. It, it's been like three months of this, and I know he got hurt, so it kind of changed things. But the whole thing just comes off weird he wears that coat with his trunks on so he looks like he's walking around naked like he's about to flash somebody i don't know why i get those vi- i get those vibes every time i see him like that and he keeps opening up to show the championship uh just a weird presentation to me and i'm just like waiting for someone to beat him so we can get a new champion and yeah. take something take all these guys in a different direction because they're all really talented but just this has just been dragging for weeks so i mean i guess i'll give the match a good but but much like the drew gender thing i'm very much out on this story to be fair to wwe this has been a first of all it's been a terrible title run for sheamus but there are so many extenuating circumstances yes that have happened yeah. including damian priest not being available for a long period yeah. of time he was uh, injured with a back injury yep. sheamus breaking his nose um so they kept having to start and stop they were going to do something with Humberto Creo and Ricochet, and they ended up not doing that because Sheamus had to go out. So this has been really bad, and they need to change the title so that they can just refresh the entire thing. But this is a rare occasion where I don't actually blame WWE. No. But still, they could have done it better once Priest came back and starting then into now. And I'll explain that in a moment. Yes. Uh, because we're going to stay. This whole thing kind of connected to a Damian Priest against John Morrison match. Priest stared Sheamus down after the match we just discussed. And then he fought Morrison or The Miz for the 11th time in 12 matches dating back to WrestleMania. That was in April. We're in August. A single rematch or a best of three is one thing. This is fucking ridiculous. Now for the match, Morrison delivered a sick spinning crossbody to the outside. Priest caught him flying with a roundhouse kick and hit the reckoning for a win. So he's now beat him in singles in consecutive weeks, and he got three wins over him in the last two weeks. There were dripstick theatrics after, with Miz accidentally revealing he could stand, and then he ran all the way to the back, so I guess his ACL is okay. Priest then officially challenged Sheamus for the title at SummerSlam. It was a bit convoluted, but Sheamus did accept. Then Priest hit the bro kick on Morrison, who was coming in for a sneak attack, which was pretty cool that he used Sheamus' finisher. This was a mixed bag. In a vacuum, there was nothing wrong with what happened Monday night on television. And I'm going to default to good enough because it wasn't bad. But the repetitive of, repetitiveness of this with Morrison and Priest, it's enough. There are so many other people. They can have Priest fight. They don't need him to still be fighting Morrison and Miz. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And credit to... WWE for good camera work when Miz stands up and then they pan over to Morrison with like the shocked look on his face and then they pan back to Miz who looks scared shitless that was good stuff now I think I would have saved the oh Miz can walk for something better than setting up a priest versus Sheamus match but in the moment 
it worked. So yeah, this this bit was good enough, but the larger picture is not. I mean, my concern is that Priest beat Sheamus and then misses his first challenger. And then like we're forgetting about Morrison, yeah, the singles yes, competitor again. Yeah, yes. And we're just Morrison reverting back as, to where we were. Morrison as a singles guy has been awesome to see. I wish he'd gotten farther away from Miz. And now I'm, I don't, Miz walking doesn't mean he can wrestle yet. I, I don't know, but he ran, he ran to the back. Right. But it's different than, you know, jumping off the top rope and doing something with, with a knee injury. So w- we'll see. I hope, I hope Morrison doesn't go back to what he was. Cause I think he's been, he's been quite enjoyable the last couple of months. He's been crushing it despite us not really having any reason to think he's going to win anything. He's been extremely yeah. entertaining. They need to split. I got to say it. They got to put him on different shows or they at least need yeah. to split each other and turn Morrison face and have him fight with Miz and then become a face. That would work. Mi- you know? Mor- face Morrison would work. Like he, he's great. like a funny, he's a comedy guy right now. He's not really being the heel. Miz is. So yeah, I would love that. By the way, with the backstage stuff between Sheamus and Morrison, them being at odds and then the ricochet match happening. Did you think at all that we might, instead of a singles match, get a fatal four-way at SummerSlam? I thought that was the point of the, the booking these matches and what was going to happen. I thought maybe Morrison would beat Priest and Ricochet would surprise Sheamus, and all of a sudden we'd have a fatal four-way. And that would have been awesome and really easy to book. I'm actually really surprised that outside of the Raw Women's Championship match, we don't have a multi-man match for the IC title or for the U.S. Championship or any of the tag team titles right now. I think a singles match between Priest and Sheamus is going to be good, but I somehow felt this this was a missed opportunity. That's a good point. I didn't really think of that because I got completely distracted in that backstage segment when Morrison said uh, Sheamus looks like he's hurting for a squirting. <laughs> and, then, and then WWE tweeted that out <laughs> afterward. So uh, I hadn't really, I kind of blacked out when that happened, but um, uh, no, that you, your point there is a great point. I, I think that would have made, made it more enjoyable, so I'm um, also, surprised. throw Ricochet and Morrison in there, let them do flippy shit and really get the crowd up for it. And Damien Priest wins and fans will like it. So, yeah, it feels like it would have been an easy thing to do. What's really funny is that 40 year old version has been on HBO this month. <laughs> so I've tuned into it like different parts of it, like probably a dozen times. And when he said that hurting for a squirting, I immediately verbally to my dog, I said, <laughs> she is a hoe. Faux show. show. <laughs> <laughs> I just I thought it was so great. Morrison and the, the water adjacent catchphrases that he's been doing has it's been incredible. It's been legitimately funny. I yeah. have to say. Yeah. So all right, let's move on. Uh, we had Dominic Mysterio against Jay Uso on SmackDown. Just another remix of the competitors in this tag team feud. Ray told Dom that he shouldn't have challenged Jay because they hold all the momentum and they need to be smarter as a team. Dom hit his dad's siding sunset flip powerbomb into the barricade. There was a rough spot where both Jay and Dominic kind of lost their rhythm. Uh, but then Dom caught Jay with a 619 and Ray intercepted Jimmy's potential interference. It was enough to give Jay time to get up, hit a super kick, and then the Uso splash for the clean win. Neither Dominic nor Jay had their best match here, but at least we had an unassisted win with Jay going over Dominic. So it was good enough, but it certainly wasn't great. Yeah, good enough. Just another example of like, we don't need to have them fight each other every week. Like, make it feel a little bit special. I understood, like, the doing the singles matches, coming off of Money in the Bank, cheating to win the same way. You do that a couple times. But now it's like, all right, we got them this week. Last week, we're probably going to get some version of it this week, and then we'll get a title match at SummerSlam. It's just like, throw Alpha Academy in there or something. Throw throw somebody else 
in their it's largely the WWE issue of rematches and rematches leading to other rematches is kind of tiring, but these guys all work really well together. I like seeing them. So like technically was, Dominic versus Jay is not a rematch of Ray versus Jimmy, but it might as well be right. It's it, they're just, it's, it's we've seen them in tag matches. They're just kind of telling us the same thing over and over week to week. It's not, it's not evolving. It's not, it, the story's not going to another level. They're just, doing the same stuff so but these these guys are good i, I mean r- really just got to appreciate dominic for just being so young and not coming up through nxt and just getting put into the spot obviously nepotism because it was because of his father but the dude delivers he he is incredibly smooth out there they had the little mix up for a bit in that match but the guy looks like he belongs out there in a match with a jay so and that's a real credit to him i just want to give him a shout out because I feel like we just kind of overlook him all the time, but we take him for we, granted. You, sometimes, you, yeah. you think about when he was it was it SummerSlam last year was his first match? Uh, maybe something like that. And, and 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 so he's just he's dude's a natural, and and he is he's got an incredibly bright future for sure. Uh, let's go to someone who maybe doesn't. Um, <laughs> carrying Cross against Jeff Hardy. A uh, Cross cut a promo with an hourglass again. There were two immediate Hardy chants when the match started. Hardy, by the way, he was back from COVID-19. He tested positive a few weeks ago. So that's why things changed kind of with Cross. But in the match, Hardy hit a splash from the second rope and tried to cheat for a win with the tights. But Cross kicked out. Every time Cross kicked out, it looked extremely strange. Like his back was glued to the mat or something. And I don't ever remember that being the case from an NXT. So I have no idea what that was even about. But Cross pulled Hardy off the ropes for a Doomsday Saito suplex. And then one with a cross jacket as Hardy tapped out. Cross then hit another Saito suplex and another cross jacket after the bell just for heel heat. And he did get a USOC chant. So the booking for Cross has been complete nonsense. But he did look dominant here. And because he's the NXT champion, this is how he should have looked from day one. He's now 50-50 against Hardy and he's 50-50 against Keith Lee. But the crowd has no reason to care for him. I'm actually going to say good here because we judge these segments, as you mentioned earlier. Earlier, we, we judge them weekly. And there was nothing wrong with this on its own. But when you put it together with everything else that's happened with Hardy and Keith Lee, and there were reports that the original plan for Karrion Cross was for him to lose to Jeff Hardy two or three times before they introduced Scarlet which one way or another gave him the umph to go ahead and you know get out of his funk and beat Jeff Hardy, forgetting for the, this entire time, by the way, that he's the NXT champion, potentially would have been losing these matches this whole time. All of that is stupid and ridiculous. This individual match on this individual show, I did think was good. Yeah, basically. I, I think we do good, bad, and ugly and the thing is, Raw might have stuff that's individually good, but it doesn't have anything that's really good. And while, while SmackDown has a lot of really good, n- nothing on this show is like, oh man, I got to go back and watch that segment. Like it was fine. It was good. Like Edge Rollins was really yeah, good. Yeah, but like it wasn't great. Yeah. And, 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 and this was another one of those. I actually hadn't heard the story, the idea that he was going to lose a couple times and Scarlett shows up. I think that's a great story to tell. It is, but, but it is, but not for someone who's the NXT champion. No, but it would have made Scarlett a big deal and not having him right now is weird. Not having her right now right. is weird. Right. And it would essentially work as a reset. Now, is that the best path to do it? No, but I, I think it would have worked. 
So now I don't know what they do because he still looks weird doing the entrance without it. He enters in front of that big screen. It's so bad. It's so and it doesn't, but it and that takes away all the context of his size, which is supposed to be his selling point. They, right? He's not the think about guy, think about the way. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Think about the yeah. way they shoot Omas. Yeah, that's how they shoot Karrion Cross in NXT. They shoot him low, so he looks yeah. monstrous, and it's exactly. close up on the entrance. And when he gets in the ring, it's close up on him in the ring. The angle of Karrion Cross standing in the ring could not have been wider. It he looked yeah. like an ant. It was insane. This is, this is exactly what I'm saying. I, I, very strange production decisions there, considering what what the point you're trying to sell this guy as a big monster. So weird. Second was fine. Larger context of cross. Jury's still out. I don't know. Considering what they're doing to NXT now, I think, you know, probably not great. And we can't find a spot for Keith Lee to beat anyone else. Again, a Gulak, a Carrillo, a... Angel Garza, anyone else on the show, we can't get Keith Lee a match coming off of a win against this guy. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, we got six more things left. Let's kind of run through them on the way out. Street Profits against the Dirty Dogs on SmackDown. Montez Ford took down Robert Roode outside as Angela Dawkins kicked out of the Famouser. Dawkins then caught Dolph Ziggler with the anointment and Ford hit a huge frog splash for the win. It was great to see Ford back in action, but this match absolutely should have gone for longer. The Dogs are a legitimate team. They don't need to get semi-squashed by the Street Profits. There's no reason to cut matches so short. Just do one fewer on a particular show and have other people fight the following week. This was not bad at all, so it was good, but there's no reason to rush a Street Profits Dirty Dogs match. Yeah, again, this is like SmackDown should be the show with three hours or something because I'm talking about I want more Roman, but I also want Alpha Academy. I also want more <laughs> I also want more Street Profits versus Dirty Dogs. I want Big so E fighting, yeah. I want Big E on there. It's 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 a lot of a good thing. That again, that leaves you wanting more. And I think that's why I come out of SmackDown being excited for the next week of SmackDown because I feel like there's still a lot they can give me. Um, so I mean, this was good. I just yeah, I, I would have liked to see more of it. We had Tamina against Tegan Knox. After Knox hit two cannonballs, Tamina avoided a shining wizard. Shotzi shot a missile from her tank as a distraction, and it wasn't a DQ because it didn't touch Tamina. It just distracted her, and Knox folded Tamina over for a win in like two minutes. I actually did not mind the gimmicky finish. And it was kind of smart, to be honest. But again, it's insane to not give these women six to eight minutes to wrestle, even though there was another women's match that did get good time on the show. Why is this so hard? It took a potential good to a clear bad for me. Well, this is an example of just don't do it this week have another match go longer and then do this one longer next week. It's like, we, we just keep talking about all these things we liked on SmackDown. We wish they had more time. They clearly don't have more time for all of this stuff. I, it's, it's the same thing we just <laughs> said prior. So I'm giving this a bad though, because distraction leads to a pinning roll up in the women's division is it, it's going to take years for that to, to not happen for it to get out of my head because it happens all the time and it happened again on raw. And yeah, so it's a it's a bad. Oh, it's an easy bad. And yeah, you you prefaced uh, the exact thing I was getting to. Alexa Bliss versus Dewdrop. Eva Marie got a lot of heat. There were we want Wyatt chants after the bell. Decently loud, not too loud, but decently loud. Uh, Lily distracted Dewdrop with a wink. I guess it was animatronic, or maybe it was CGI. I don't that know. was a, that was a, no no that was a cut. That was a clip from okay, something else. Whatever the hell it, it was. Yeah yeah yeah. Lily, a doll perched on the top rope. Distracted Dewdrop with a wink. 
and Bliss rolled her over for a win in four minutes. I will say the rollover, just like the fold over with Tamina, they got a lot of momentum on it and they really folded the women over, which yes. at least makes it look a little bit better. Yes. It doesn't really change any of that. The crowd did pop for Bliss winning, but despite that, this on its own had everything I hate about recent WWE women's matches. There was hardly any action. It lasted four minutes and it ended in a roll-up. Oh, and it happened to involve Lily. I was semi-hopeful when they got rid of Lily like over a month ago and Bliss's gimmick, to her credit, improved. I said, you know what? Maybe they're going to make something out of this. Why they ever brought Lily back, who the fuck knows? This was a disaster and it was straight up ugly. You can and don't it, and don't forget they've got a giant lily ar on the entrance too so they're all in on the lily uh now apparently uh, this alexa bliss still gets a reaction i've actually had her theme stuck in my head this weekend for some reason it's actually getting kind of catchy but the other thing with this is alexa wasn't wearing her uh ring gear that she had at money in the bank and i, I just i remember that because and this kind of ties into going back to Lily because she comes out money in the bank. Lily wasn't a thing. She was darker and eviler. And she comes out, rips whatever she was wearing off to show her ring gear. And the crowd popped big for that. But now she's back to the overalls and Lily type stuff. So I guess they're just reverting the gimmick back to that. I don't know. I thought the ring gear looked good. I thought she was uh, properly creepy during that money in the bank match. But clearly they're going all in on Lily. Uh would have loved to see these two get more time because I really I'm a big fan of Dewdrop and we know Alexa can go. I think these two could have a really good match if given the time. But um, yeah, I maybe, guess I'll maybe the bad. thought is maybe the thought is you don't need ring gear if you're only wrestling for three minutes. So I don't, yeah. I don't know. Uh, anyway, uh, we'll move on. There was a vignette of Elias walking in a field at night with his guitar and there was a fire burning. He strummed it once and then tossed it into the flames. And the voiceover said WWE stood for walk with Elias, but Elias is dead. You know what? I'm actually somewhat intrigued here. Like moving away from that gimmick is the right direction because it is dead in the water, even though they can bring it back at any time in the future and it'll be just as over as it was with Elias insulting crowds or even as a face gimmick. They can bring that back. But the idea that Elias is dead, the idea that we haven't seen Riker in three or four weeks, those are positives to me. I thought this was good. I don't know that it's going to result in anything, but I'm really curious to see what they do. Yeah, yeah, I'm interested in it for sure. I, I guess I give this a good or whatever because it's interesting. It's something new happening. That's good. You're right that the Elias character was dead in the water, but I'm still pissed at the reason it's dead in the water be, because they of the Jackson Riker and stuff. All they, they, they killed it. Yeah. The, the, the pop-up, sing in front of the crowd, insult the local sports teams, like the easiest cheap heat in the world that they wrestling's been doing forever they just didn't do that and so if you're not going to do that with Elias, if you're not going to do what he is very good at then yeah change it up so i'm I'm interested to see what happens mustafa ali faced t-bar in a singles match ali was happy legitimately happy that mansoor bought him a jacket and gave him a little bit of respect for improving backstage dijak ragdolled ali into the barricade mace murdered mansoor outside and Ali caught T-Bar with a tornado DDT. He was going to go for a high-risk move when T-Bar booted him off the ropes and hit Feast Your Eyes, who the hell know what, knows what it's even called now, uh, if anything, for the win. 
Mansoor then saved Ali from high justice and took out Mace. So I presume Mace and uh, Mansoor are probably going to fight next week. For a low-card storyline and match, I got to say there was really nothing wrong with it. I was decently entertained. And I thought the big guys, who they have something, if they just can get away from calling them Mace and T-Bar. I proposed this like two months ago. They should be called Titan Towers. That's what they should be called. And they should have a really good gimmick. They can talk. They can wrestle. I thought they looked pretty good for once. Surprising maybe all of you. I'm going to go with good for this. Yeah, like, right. It's a low card feud I don't really care about, but they're not doing anything that's turning me away. It's They're doing something with the little bit that they have. Um, so it's it's fine. I'll give it a good. Uh, it's not like every week I can't wait to see what happens between these two or four, but it was fine. I'll give it a good. It's at the point where on Raw, if it's unoffensive, it's good. And if it offends us in any way, basically, then it's bad. Yeah. and I hate that there's still T Bar and Mace and whatever. Like, it's we so never stupid. connected with those characters. We still don't. Like, just make them, I don't know, you, give you them a new gimmick. It. Anything. I, I, it's, I really think the retribution names are kind of holding them back because we only have negative thoughts. It's the it's the retribution names and it's the face paint. The rest of it dressing, you know, in all black, you know, in that kind of shield like Legion of Doom like style. I know those are two very different styles. I'm just saying it's like a mix of them. That's all okay, But give them like the Doomsday Destroyers, give like or, or just totally change their gimmick and repackage them. WWE used to repackage people all the time on the main roster. They wouldn't show up for three or four or five or six weeks. And all of a sudden they'd they'd air a couple vignettes, they'd repackage them and bring them back. Why can't we do that anymore? You have two really talented guys who are big. You have a tag team division that needs more teams. I don't hate them as a team. I don't even hate Mustafa Ali and Mansoor as a team, but make them into something. Give Mansoor and Mustafa Ali a tag team name. Have them interact with the champions, AJ Styles, um, and Omos backstage, allow AJ Styles and Omos to beat them. Uh, you know, have everyone interact with each other. This is booking 101. The fact that everyone is segmented into their individual feuds and they can't fight or interact with anyone except the people in their feuds, unless maybe there's a six or eight man tag team match. It's ridiculous. And it's what is holding the booking back in addition to the bad storytelling and everything else that's happening. Um, I mean, that, that applies That applies to everything in the It applies to everything. Years. I mean, L- Lana made that same point in her Jericho interview. She said she wanted to have some more interactions, but they didn't really go for it. So, yeah. again, that's a larger problem and why it's not Marvel, because in Marvel, everything's interconnected. Right. Like, there's no reason Chad Gable can't fight Seth Rollins, um, although mm-hmm. that's heel-heel. But I think you could, or Chad Gable can't fight Big E. Oh, man. For you example. just popped me thinking of Chad Gable versus Seth Rollins. Yeah, but like think Gable, of, a, think a, of, a better example is Gable think. Big E, right? Do that. Why can't, yeah, sure. Why can't Dolph Ziggler fight Big E? Why can't... Well, I think I think Big E needs to fight Apollo. I think it's in his contract that he has to it's, fight Oh, him. my God. I mean, it's, it's the only thing that's happened more than Damian Priest and John Morrison <laughs> at this point. It's absolutely ridiculous. All right, and we'll wrap up here. Uh, Reggie was doing a 24-7 title photo shoot when R-Truth and Akira Tozawa dressed in disguises and tried to roll him up. Reggie did some parkour shit and ran away with R-Truth dropping the he's on X Games mode line that is on TikTok. Uh, The 24-7 title, making it a social media title is something I suggested a long time ago. Yeah. And I wouldn't mind if they go in that direction and just have these little really short type of, you know, things that happen on Raw, but then tell stories on TikTok and Twitter and YouTube and all that type of stuff. But nothing here was offensive again. So I'm going to go with good. There wasn't roll-up matches. There wasn't a roll-up title change. He kicked out 
of the roll-up attempt. Uh, last week, I thought 24-7 title was bad. The week before, I actually thought they did a very good job with it. So it, we're back and forth, back and forth. But again, because it wasn't bad, it was good. I, I've been a fan of all the Ridgey stuff they've done. This was fine. You, you talk about making a social media championship. I, I said that years ago with the internet championship that Zack Ryder did, like the, all the opportunities they could have done with that, and they didn't. So, um, yeah, this was fine. It was good. It was, you know, I, I like seeing Reggie do parkour stuff. It's fun. One, one other thing um, unrelated that I wrote down in my notes, WWE congratulated The Rock on having the number two movie in the country with Jungle Cruise. I'm, unless I missed it, let me know if I missed it. They did not congratulate John Cena for having the number one movie. They did. Which, they did. Did they? Okay. In fact, was it in fact in I show? think they did it back to back. I think they did John okay, Cena maybe and then down. immediately okay. did The Rock. Okay. This is why yeah. I ask. Because I want to make sure. Sometimes, sometimes I miss these things and this is why we we, we correct each other when they miss I mean, them, so. that is honestly pretty wild. Like, granted. That is. Yeah. So, first off, congrats to both those guys. Yeah. John Cena was the best part of, the second best part. Him and Idris Elba were the best part of Suicide Squad. I thought the movie was I pretty haven't seen good. It yet. No, no I, I just thought it was pretty good. That's yeah. all I'll say. I, but Cena's really good in it. Idris Elba's really good in it. The Rock is, we know what The Rock is. So cool seeing those guys, you know, two pro wrestlers with the two biggest movies of the weekend. Um, that That's pretty cool. Was Suicide Squad better than the other Suicide Squad? I liked the first Suicide Squad. So I don't know if you want my answer. I, 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 I thought it was pretty similar, okay. but I liked it. So... Most people I've seen have liked it a lot more than the previous okay. one. Okay. But I but I like the previous ones. All right. That is that is good to know. Uh look, um, this was an interesting show, you know, uh, a little bit uh ragged, right? Uh, I think our in- intro starting with NXT and, and the conversation we had wasn't completely planned, which is obviously totally fine. Um, but this was a weird week of WWE TV across the board because even SmackDown, which I thoroughly enjoyed. I got taken out of the second hour because of the releases and all the negativity, which is what we discussed at the start of the show. WWE making these extremely strange decisions that force negativity into its product when this should be a time of positivity, even if the booking isn't good. There should be excitement about fans being back and sold out crowds and big pay-per-view events and all this type of stuff. And this road to SummerSlam, it doesn't feel like a road to SummerSlam, just like the road to WrestleMania this year didn't really feel much like a road to WrestleMania. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what's happening with the product. I'm going to wrap up the show kind of the way we started, saying that SmackDown continues to be anywhere from on the low end enjoyable to the high end, a great two hours of wrestling any given week, where Raw on the low end is terrible and the high end is like manageable, serviceable, right? And that's what I thought what this week was. There was plenty of stuff that I enjoyed on the show and nothing that was so offensive that I got actively angry while I was watching it. But considering you have five hours worth of main roster product and only two hours a week can be counted on as being good to great, you're in really bad spots. Like we, there were plenty of times, Chris, on this show where we said, hey, you know what? Once crowds come back, you know, maybe they're being repetitive now because they're waiting for crowds to come back and then they're going to really put their best foot forward. If this is their best foot forward for raw, that foot needs to get chopped off. Yeah. It's like we said at the beginning, there's just, there was no star power on the show and I don't know how much you can, can, can do with that. That's why Goldberg's there. That's why everybody's good on SmackDown and it's, it's, it's created a real problem. 
And they create a lot of their own problems on Raw with poor decisions. But more than anything, there's other than now RK Bro that they're back. There's nothing on Raw where I'm like, oh man, I can't wait to see it this week. There's just, there's nothing. There's there's quite a bit of that on SmackDown, but there's none of it on Raw. You are correct, sir. So that is it for this WWE episode. Here's what our schedule is going to look like coming up in the future. On Thursday, we will be back with an NXT and AEW show. Uh, We do have AEW Rampage debuting on Friday. At this point, we're not going to really be able to discuss Rampage until the following Thursday, which I know is strange, but unless we add another show and put it on the weekend, it's just not really going to make sense for us to talk about Rampage at any other time. And we're certainly not going to do a live show unless there's breaking news uh, and instant analysis style coming out of a Rampage. You know, like we have done occasionally a Go Home Smackdown, for example. Um, it was not going to really make sense for us to do an additional show. So we do have Rampage debuting this week. That will be part of the NXT and AEW show next week. As far as the Rampage goes, it's in Chicago in a couple of weeks. Okay, yeah, maybe uh, Chris and I will do an instant analysis, especially if CM Punk winds up debuting on that show, as we suspect is a possibility. But regardless, this is how things are planned out right now. NXT and AEW on Wednesday, back next week, Tuesday, with our WWE SummerSlam Ultimate Preview. The expectation for me is that we will have a special 200th episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. My plan is for that to be published on Wednesday next week, Thursday back, NXT and AEW episode. And then depending what happens on that Friday with SmackDown and with Rampage, there may or may not be some type of go-home instant reaction type of show like we had for Money in the Bank, like we've had previously for WrestleMania. Then on Saturday, we will have our WWE SummerSlam instant analysis. And on Sunday, our NXT TakeOver 36 instant analysis. So there is a potential for next week to be a six-episode week. I do not plan for that to be the case. I hope it is not the case. But we will see how everything comes together. Maybe the Silver King can move a couple things around. So that is it. I appreciate all of you listening to today's show uh, and being patient with our schedule going forward. We're going to figure out how to make everything perfect for you. A reminder before we get out of here that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is about one thing. So leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts to let people know how much you love the show and why they should listen and subscribe. And please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. For Vintage Chris Vanini, this is the Silver King Adam Silverstein, leaving you with three final words. Bye for now.